Shalom everyone, welcome to another episode of The Upper Room. I'm your host Darren. Uh, we are here to loose and bind biblical topics, the Word of God, uh, to get in all territories relating to uh, the walk of faith with Yeshua Messiah, Jesus Christ. Um, very excited to be joined by today's guest. Uh, this is a conversation that we've had uh, within our fellowship uh, as brothers. And um, our heart today is to, to arm the saints, to equip those who are out on the front lines, whether it be at work, whether it be in families, and to, to give us that, um, that knowledge, uh, that empowerment, that understanding of, of the world that we live in today, the challenges that we face and to, uh, uh, to build us up and equip us, essentially. Um, now, today's topic is one that can uh, potentially be, um, I guess, a stumbling block for some people. Uh, it can be a, a fearful arena to, to enter into. Um, but hopefully today we can touch on some points that will, uh, as I say, arm us and equip us to, to deal with this in, in a way that uh, is respectful, uh, that is fruitful, and uh, ultimately will will point to uh, to Yeshua. Um, now, I love apologetics. I love all things apologetics, and um, there are some great ones out there. You've got Frank Turek, cross-examined, does amazing work. Uh, I believe you've got the preacher, Dore Love, who, who goes out and does amazing uh, work with regards to um, this subject. And... Um, yeah, we shouldn't be neglecting uh, some of these weightier matters and, and, and being scared of, of uh, getting into some of these areas. Now, uh, today's guest, uh, he's a husband, he's a father uh, to two amazing boys, a husband to an amazing uh, wife, uh, shout out Angie, Mason and Isaac, and um, uh, no stranger to uh, this show, so... Welcome, Grant. How are you doing? Shalom, bro. Shalom, shalom. Yes, thank you for that introduction. Yeah, I was, uh, was getting a bit worried, actually, that, that last time with the whole her hair <laughs> debacle that I might have been blacklisted. But no, I'm glad to be back, man. Thanks for having me on. No, most welcome, <laughs> most welcome. Um, now, today's topic, it's all about um, uh, Islam uh, uh, and apologetics with regards to how we uh, how we deal with this, because... Uh, I believe this is a, an area, a faith, uh, a, a a subject so prevalent in today's uh, culture yep. uh, and goes back a, a long, long way. Um, there are many similarities and there are many, many, most importantly, uh, differences with regards to uh, our faith. Absolutely. And uh, with that being said, if you could just give us a bit of a, a background in terms of how you found yourself in this area, Grant, because I've known you for a while in terms of... Uh, come into the faith and uh i just remember there'd just be testimonies of these situations <laughs> and interactions with with muslims where i was thinking wow like yah's using you in some um, pretty uh, powerful way so uh yeah. yeah just give us a bit of a an a bit of a backdrop in terms of why we're talking about what we're talking about today yeah absolutely so um in my my previous role uh that i was that i was employed in um i was a field sales rep and my role was to go out and uh, drum up new business with in like cash and carries and wholesalers and things like that. So um, a lot of the customers that I ended up dealing with, I'd probably say 90%, 95% of the people that I was speaking to on a day-to-day -day basis were Muslims. Um, and I would, I would create great relationships with these people. 
um, not just on a, on a you know um, a sales level, but on a personal level. Uh, became really quite close to a few of them, uh, and we'd have some really good conversations. Um, I would obviously be wearing my zeets and mm. things like that when I was out on the road, so that would strike up some conversations straight away. And we'd just start talking about the Bible. We'd start talking about the Quran. Um, and some of the similarities, some of the differences, respectfully, and I think that's very important, is when, when, you, when you are having these interactions, it has to be a conversation. Right. You know, it's not a debate. It's not me trying to assert my point. You're trying to assert your point. It's not an argument in any way. It has to be a conversation. Um, and you have to be respectful in the way that you deliver that conversation. But ultimately, what we're trying to get to is the truth. Um, so that's, that's what kind of set me on this path was having a look at when I was having these interactions, getting an understanding of where they were coming from, um, why do they think what they think, um, what does the Quran actually say, and that's where it kind of spanned from and, and set me on a journey of, of discovery, um, studying the Quran, um, looking at the Hadiths, looking at the Tafsir, what they say, understanding the differences between the Quran, the Hadiths, and the Tafsir, Right. Um, so when you are having these interactions, you can understand what is Quranic and what isn't. Um, yeah, and, and kind of just going from there and then trying to show them using the Quran why what it says regarding the Bible is, is proof that the Bible is truth. Perfect. Um, I think there can be uh, the sentiment shared uh, amongst, uh, amongst believers that uh, such is the zealous zealousness in uh, the Islamic world for their faith. It can be quite a fearful thing to engage yep. um, with uh, certain uh, certain areas of that community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also on top of that, as we're learning our faith, as we're learning our word, um, there can be. I certainly experienced a, 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 a fearfulness of even reading the text itself for fear of I sure. don't know, like being corrupted or or drawn in (laughs) somehow which is like obviously with a bit of time having passed it's you know that's a moot point um yeah but with that being said when it comes to debating uh it's always good to know the points of who your opponent is and as you rightly said it's not about debating it's about knowing the information that's being shared um so with that we hope today that we can establish some um some pointers some directions in terms of how to have these conversations uh, to be equipped yep. and to do it in love, to do it respectfully Absolutely. and to essentially win souls, uh, at least plant seeds. Um, so with that being said, you, you touched on the notion of the differences between uh, the Quran, the Hadith yep. uh, and these different uh, contributing factors, uh, again, similar to the Torah, to uh, the oral law, to Midrash, uh, to commentaries. There's a, there's a, a bit of a landscape so yeah. if you'd be so kind first of all if you, if you could just uh, maybe define the differences between the, the things that you've just described and then we'll get into the principle of of how the quran or how you see the quran actually interpreting uh, at one level but actually confirming biblical truth um because yeah. I, I i could be wrong in 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 assuming that uh you know, a, a lot of uh, Quranic writing is uh, presented as an extension or uh, the, the writings that come after Torah, the yeah. after, after the Bible, and there's some sort of connection. So if you could just lead us in terms of some um, definitions, and then if you could just take it away with regards to, uh, yeah, biblical truth and the, the, the cross-connection with, with the Quran, if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
and I, I just want to sort of say before I before I get into those points, I think it's important to to understand as well. Um, similar to ourselves, we don't know everything, and nor do they. I think s- some people can operate in a fear sometimes about speaking to a Muslim because we all seem to believe that they know the book like the back of their hand. Um, but a lot of times when I've been in conversations with a Muslim, someone will know something, someone will know something else, right. and um, they might have different understandings of other things, or they just don't know it at all. So when you can actually show someone this, uh, it, it, they have a revelation. You see the revelation take place. Like, wow, I've never seen that before. Right. Why didn't I know this? Um, and again, a lot of it is just sort of generational religiosity that's that's come into play, uh, where they're, they're just sort of similar to the church. They'll go to the to the um, to the mosque, and whatever the sheikh or the imam is giving them, they take as truth. And there'll be a lot of things that aren't discussed. So there's a lot of information they don't actually have. So don't be afraid of sharing that with them because you can see revelations take place. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead and reveal the truth to them. Um, so yeah, just just sort of coming back onto some of those points that you mentioned there. You know, the, the understanding of the Quran is that it is the final revelation of God. Right. And it is perfectly explained and inerrant. So whereas the understanding of the Bible from... Muslim, you know, an Islamic perspective is that the Bible has been corrupted. Right, okay. Which is why they don't believe it. Um, the Quran is the perfectly explained final revelation of um, the word of God to Muhammad, um, imparted to him by the angel Gabriel. Um, so that that's why they don't necessarily acknowledge the, the Bible anymore. They just go off what the Quran says. But some of the things I just want to touch on um, within this is actually having a look at what the Bible does say about the word of God. Um, so what the Quran says about the word. Uh, sorry, what the Quran? Yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my apologies. What I know the, you're right. What the Quran actually does say about the word of God, um, and I think that's very important to understand and a very important thing to start with. It's important and it's incredibly surprising. Uh, we'll get into the gospel in a bit more um, yeah. uh, detail as we go into it, but it, that premise in itself that there is, uh, it, it's even discussed. Yeah, is it can be news to some, but then. What, what the context is is even more unbelievable. So, um, yeah. yeah, really, really fascinating stuff. And, and it's very interesting as well. And I, I found this personally amazed me when I saw it, reading through the Quran. Um, you know, you touched on before, I think some people can be afraid of reading the Quran and being sort of like dragged into, you know, to the Quran and believing it. Um, but I think once you've seen, you know, you've, you've got a good understanding of the Bible first, um, you can sort of discern these things for yourself. Right. Um but yeah, just sort just sort of coming on onto that point. The what really amazed me is the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible, as far as I've been able to find, it doesn't actually claim that as a book or a collection of books that it is perfectly explained and inerrant. Obviously, the the, the word made flesh, Yeshua Messiah, is perfect right. and inerrant. But the Bible as a book itself, as written word, does not claim that anywhere. Right. Okay. However, the Quran actually does make that claim of the bible and that's what really surprised me so in the quran it's stating that the 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 bible is inherently yeah. correct yeah so it's okay so yeah. that's that's a doozy <laughs> right there because that's saying okay so yes. we the, we then need to reconcile everything in these texts yep. with the original foundation and principle that that is that is the perfect word of god correct yeah that's we, what really surprised me Right. Okay, and that's yeah. that's a precept we can all work with, right? Because yes. as you said, obviously there's debates over canon translations, transliterations. But yep. if we go to the essence of defining what is 
the perfect word of God. Yep. We can all agree and attest that the scriptures in 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 degrees of forms is the is the word of God. Correct. Um however uh that's actually um confirmed within the Quran as well. Confirmed so we've got we've already got something in common. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, just touching on something you said then about maybe different variations of the Bible. You know, I think it's important to understand that a textual variant isn't actually an issue for us um, because one thing that we have got now, uh, which we maybe didn't have previously, is we have access to the the Hebrew language. Right. Um, we have access to um, archaeological finds like the Dead Sea Scrolls, which confirm what we have today is accurate to what they had at the time. Right. Um, so... Again, these textual variants that we may have today, which is where some differences of opinion come in, doesn't actually affect us because it doesn't actually have any bearing whatsoever on the context or the meaning of the Bible and the salvation of Yeshua Messiah. No, and conversely, um, it's a bit of a paradox, but the more translations and transliterations there are, it actually builds more scope yes. for it to be the truth be because the truth. so many of so much <laughs> of it correlates and you're like, oh, actually, yeah. all of these people are saying the same thing. Correct. Pretty much... You know, obviously, you can get into the minutiae, which is big in some elements, but the essence is like no, the more the the uh, the more there is, the the more it actually confirms its validity. Absolutely, yeah, and and I think that's important as well. With you know the gospel accounts, all the gospel accounts are testify for the same thing, right? You know, if you've got different different people who have different accounts, and yeah, there might be some slight differences, just like if you and I and two other people saw something happen, right, and had to give a witness account of what happened, they would all be the same. Um, you know, premise, but there might be some different different wordings in there, and that's the same with the gospel accounts. Love that, yeah. And uh, so, with that being said, uh, we've already got a conversational pillar <laughs> to be like, right, we we we, we can agree that that we're sharing a faith, we're sharing similarities in the word. So, yeah. Um, take us from there in terms of how that interrelates. Yes. So, um, I want to start with a passage from the Quran. Um, so the Quran, uh, Quran 6, 115, and if anybody wants to note these down as they're going along, they can. Uh, but Quran 6, 115, it says, The word of your Lord has been perfected in truth and in justice. No one can change his words. He is all hearing and all knowing. Okay, so what I want to point out with that is the Quran actually does acknowledge, and I'll give the verses now, that the Torah, the Psalms, and the Gospels were revealed by Allah and are his word. So that's Quran 2, 40 to 42, Quran 5, 44 to 48, and Quran 21, 105. If people go and look at those passages, they will see that it does express it to be the word of God. And as we've just read in this verse, Quran 6, 115, the word of God is perfected in truth and no one can change his words. Therefore, the Quran does agree to the fact that the Torah, the Psalms and the Gospels are the word of God and cannot be changed by anyone. Excellent, and um, and with that, because like you said on the offset, like that's that's really surprising. Yes. Like I, I don't, I, you know, when I first came across that notion that they um, confirm the gospel, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's a real interesting road to go down. Um, would you think it's fair to say now, with regards to uh, being able to engage and have this conversation, 
Uh, is it better to engage with the word and exchange in the text as opposed to the validity of who Allah is at this point? Because yeah. you would be tempted to say, well, Allah's not the same God. Yes. And we're not of the same faith because Allah is, you know, there's that sketch. Absolutely. But then you're going to invalidate the the uh, the possibility of having the conversation. So you've got to kind of ride that one out a bit yeah. uh, initially, I would imagine. Yeah, definitely. I, I think there um when you get into this, when you get into a conversation with a Muslim, there's some sort of fundamental principles that you really need to understand before you do engage in a conversation with them. Um, so, first and foremost, don't have a double standard. So, what I mean by that is, you know, if I'm, if you're going to put something to me regarding the Bible being um, corrupt or inerrant, then if I do put something back to you regarding the Quran of the same thing, right. then you, you know, answer that question. Don't run from the question. Don't have a double standard. Um, but also, when you are conversing with the Quran, uh, with a, with a Muslim regarding the Quran, don't use terms like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, because instantly you're going to put up barriers like straight away. Um, they don't believe the Father, Son, Holy Spirit concept. So if if I'm conversing with a Muslim and I say, "Oh yeah, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit," it's just doesn't compute, and they'll just reject everything else that I've got to say after. Um, however, in the Quran. There are, uh, there is a, a, a trinity as such, right? Which is Allah, Kalima, and the Rook. So if I use words to that effect, then instantly they're like, ah, oh, yeah, 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 and it creates um, an understanding between us, right? Okay, it creates a rapport between us, but it also gives me the base to then build a case on. Which is quite uh, funny in itself because you can talk to other Christians and mention the Trinity and they'll probably switch up as well because not everybody's on that same... Absolutely, yeah. uh, uh, Well, that's a whole different thing. But um, yeah, so you mentioned, you're you saying that you, you've got a, a, a Trinity within within uh, the Quranic scriptures. Mm. Um, obviously, it's a, a monotheistic um, uh, religion to say the least. Yeah. Um, so what does that look like, that, that, that breakdown of... Of the that Trinitarian element to uh, the, the I, I dare say the Godhead of, of of Islam, like what does that? How does that work out? Yeah. So um, as I mentioned there, there, there are there's three components to this. Obviously, with it being a Trinity. Um, but if if you look at Quran five seventy three, it says those who say Allah is one in a Trinity, with that in mind have certainly fallen into disbelief. There is only one God. If you do not stop saying this, those who disbelieve among you will be afflicted with a painful punishment. So I think it's important at that point to understand, well, what is the Islamic understanding of the Trinity? Um, if you say Trinity, what is the view of what the Trinity is? Well, a Christian Trinity or an Islamic the, Trinity? The, the Christian Trinity. Right, okay, yeah. Um, so you obviously you've just said then monotheism, Islam is a oneness. It's God is one. But there are um, attributes of God, attributes of Allah that can come into creation, but Allah cannot come into creation. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Right, okay, um, yeah. But I think it's important that, as I just mentioned there, don't use terms like Trinity, because bam, the wall's going to go up straight away. Um, it says in Quran 516, and on judgment day, Allah will say, Oh Jesus, son of Mary, did you ever ask people to worship you and your mother as gods besides Allah. Okay, right. so the the understanding from the Islamic view of the Christian Trinity is God, Jesus, and Mary. Okay. So that is the Islamic understanding of what the Trinity is. It's not God the Father, Yeshua the Son, 
you know, the Word made flesh, and the Holy Spirit, it's Mary. So obviously we understand that God, Yeshua, and the Holy Spirit to be Echad. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not three independent gods. They are one God, and these are sort of his, his attributes, so to speak. Um, and again, this is why it's so, it's so important to, to, to understand this, because this is also what Muslims believe. So you can create uh, an understanding between you and uh, a relationship and a rapport between you when you explain that to them. Um, so don't use words like Trinity. Muslims do believe, as I mentioned before, there is one God, and that God is Allah, but his attributes are the Kalima, which is the word. Right. So it's starting to ring bells. Okay, here, yeah. The word. But to them, the word became a book, the Quran. And they have the Ruk, which is the spirit. Okay. Now, again, with that, you've got to use these terminologies. So if you say Father, Son, Holy Spirit, walls go up. So you've got to say things like Allah, Kalima, the Ruk to create, to create that understanding. We believe exactly the same thing they believe, but to us, the word became flesh in Yeshua Messiah. Amen. To them, it became a book in the Quran. So this is the passage that I was talking about before, Quran 112.1. So this is why they say that God is one, monotheism, one on, as a singular, which in Hebrew would be Yahid, not Echad. Okay. Um, it says, say he Allah is one. Say he Allah is one. Now, if we go off that, what we've just discovered, that Allah has attributes that can come into the world, but Allah himself cannot come into the world, and that these attributes of Allah are uncreated things, then it presents a flaw, it presents a textual flaw within the Quran because it makes their own trinity of sorts untrue. So they believe that the word became a book, became the Quran, passed down to us to be perfectly explained in an error and to lead us going forward. That, that's the, the premise. That's what they believe. Right. Um, but as I mentioned, the Quran, the Kalima, the word, is an attribute of God. And they believe that it is separate from him. And the reason why they say that is because if the Quran, the word of God, as one of his attributes, was inseparable from him, then it would mean they are physically touching Allah when they touch the Quran. Right. Now that's a problem. So just to make this clear, yeah. um, you're saying that they're, they're saying that there is a oneness between the, the word, the, 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 the spirit and Allah, mm-hmm. and that the word has been made manifest in the world. Yes. However, there has to be a separation. Yes. So therefore there's a contradiction in saying that that is Allah. Correct. Right. Okay. Yeah. So this, this, this becomes the problem. Okay. It's if you've got Allah who is an uncreated being, right. And you have the word, the Kalima, the Quran, which is also uncreated. I mean, I'm no mathematician. (laughs) How many uncreated things is that? That's two, that's two uncreated. uncreated things. So instantly it goes against Quran 112.1, which says, say he Allah one. Right. Instantly you've got a contradiction there because from what you've just, you know, we've just discovered. Yeah. There's two, there's two uncreated things. Now the argument to that from, from an Islamic perspective is that it doesn't go against Tawheed because the, it is the uncreated word of Allah. 
So it's it's still of Allah, so therefore it's one with him. Right. But that's easily easily you know um, counter counter uh, argued, so to speak, because if you ask them a very simple question, and this is a really important question to take note of, is the attribute separate from Allah, or is it inseparable? If you ask that question, they cannot say to you that it is inseparable, because if it is inseparable, you are physically touching Allah when you touch the Quran. So they have to say it is separate. And if it is separate, you have two uncreated things. Right. So, so uh, essentially your first contradiction within the text. And um, essentially you may not um, get a definitive uh, victory, as it were, but you, you, you're you poking holes. Yes. And um, what, what is interesting, like uh, aside from um, the content of what this trinity um, makes... Uh, is actually made of yeah there's a i think there's a similar correlation between oneness and getting your head around oneness and what that constitutes because that's i think that's part of the uh, the biggest um stumbling block with trinity doctrine in in christianity is this how can something be separate and one at the same time but yeah. obviously, we'll get into the the, the oneness of, of Yeshua and his divinity. But that that's that's a difficult one to wrestle with anyway. But mm-hmm. off the bat, if you're saying right, this is your doctrine, this is what your word is saying, but immediately you've got a, a contradiction there. That's that's food for thought. Absolutely, yeah. And you know, I think as well with um, with Islam, with a the Muslim, they are to obey and follow what the Quran teaches, and. To obey and follow the Quran is what's known in, in um, Arabic as um, ibadah. So ibadah means worship. Right. So they are to obey and follow the Quran. So therefore they are to worship the Quran just as they worship Allah. Now, what do we know the Quran to be from what we've just discussed? We know the Quran to be the kalima. Kalima meaning the word. So they worship the word of God just as they worship God. Right. Now that sounds very similar to something I know. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so again, to them, the Kalima, the word became a book. To us, it became flesh in Yeshua Messiah. And we are to obey and follow Yeshua Messiah. And in doing so, worship him, which is also glorifying the Father equally. Which is, that's the immediate um, stumbling block that you have is that because you don't have the divinity, the the, the word made flesh, yes. you've just got the word made word, no, but, well, yeah, uh, which yeah. doesn't uh, fulfill the fullness of what um, uh, what that theology actually constitutes. Now, if, if we take this premise of um, that these things are uh, essentially uh, are a copy of an original uh, logos uh, precept, um, and it is an inversion or a twisting of that, it's like you're so close to the original precept of yep. what this actually means, but because you don't have the fulfillment, it doesn't actually make sense. Yes. But if we can turn our worship in t- toward the word made flesh, which is God, yeah. God as man who put off his divinity as Yeshua, Amen. and we are to worship Yeshua, like that's that's a completely legit reciprocal yep. um, relationship between the creator and the created, right? Absolutely. But... This text is suggesting that, okay, like I don't worship the Bible. You don't worship the Torah. Correct. We worship Yeshua because he is the Torah made flesh, right? Absolutely, yeah. So that makes like logistical sense. And this is where the similarities come in 
but within those similarities, there's such slight, you know, right. differences between that. Um, you know, to us, the word became flesh and Yeshua Messiah. To them, it became a book. But what their word doesn't do for them that it does do for us is it doesn't give them salvation. Ours does. Amen. Yeah. Um, and this is why I mentioned before, I think the, the first thing that's so important to, to, um, to establish is what the Quran says about the word of God, which we touched on briefly. I'll touch on it a bit more. Um, but it says that the word of God is perfect and unchangeable. No one can change his word. And the passages that I cited earlier about the Torah, the Psalms and the Gospels are the word of God. So they are perfect and inerrant and unchangeable. So when we've got that understanding and then we can present this information, let's have a look at what Philippians 2, 15 to 11 says. It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Yeshua Messiah, who being in the form of Elohim did not consider it robbery to be equal to Elohim but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Yeshua every knee should bow, those on heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Yeshua Messiah is Adonai to the glory of Yahuwah the Father. Amen. Amen. Um, <laughs> what's brilliant, bro? We're like half an hour in and we're not even like through the first <laughs> point, <laughs> which is great. So with that being said, um, everything that we're discussing uh, today, uh, Grant has actually uh, got a very comprehensive uh, uh, study and reference point where all of the Quranic verses are stated, all of the, the biblical verses are stated, all the references uh, are, are are there? Yep. Um, so what we'll do, we'll post a, a link in the uh, description, uh, maybe even to the uh, presentation itself. We'll also post a link to uh, Grant's YouTube channel, um, where uh, hopefully, uh, y'all willing, you'll be able to put the presentation like in yep. its in its entirety. Because as you can already tell, we're half an hour in and we're, we've barely scraped the surface. So <laughs> what we'll do, if you could just surmise like uh, as quickly as best as you can. Um, this this relationship between uh, the Bible and, and the Quran. The Quran yeah, and absolutely. then we'll crack on with a bit of divinity if you're up for that. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I'll swiftly move on. So the next passage that I want to look at from the Quran um, actually talks about the gospel, so this will sort of tie in nicely with what we're going to look at next. Right, perfect. Um, so Quran, 500, uh, Quran 547 says, So let the people of the Injil, which is the, the Arabic word for gospel, let the people of the gospel judge by what Allah has revealed in it. And those who do not judge by what Allah has revealed in it are rebellious sinners. Wow. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so there we have, we've got the premise being that they're not in denial or refuting the, the existence of a gospel. There is a gospel. Yes. So that's a, that's a great starting point in terms of the working with this. Um, the Quran is confirming that there's a gospel and yes. not only confirming it that... We are to believe in it, and if we don't... And judge by it. Yeah, we're judged by it. So yeah. that's a very interesting insight. Yeah, very interesting. And this is where it gets even more interesting, is this verse tells us that the gospel was still reliable and not corrupted at the time of Muhammad. Right, okay. So Muhammad was born over 500 years after the death, burial, and rectal of Yeshua Messiah. So because of that, we can conclude that the gospel is still reliable scripture today. If it was... Still reliable at the time of Muhammad. Muhammad was born 
about five, 570 AD, I think it was. Right. Um, and the gospel accounts that we have now still back date to about 125, between 125 and 350 AD. So even though the gospels we have now were not the original gospels, so to speak, if the gospel at the time of Muhammad was not considered to have been corrupted and Muhammad was revealed the Quran between 609 and 632 AD, then it would still be reliable scripture now. Wow, okay. Yeah. That's putting some, uh, <laughs> some cats among the pigeons. Brilliant. So when it comes to the uh, confirmation of the gospel, yep. um, now Paul says in the word, I'm paraphrasing yet again, about uh, different gospels. Yes. And uh, as you mentioned just before that, Grant, you said about there being major similarities, but ever so slight differences. Mm -hmm. Now, I think what we'll talk about in terms of the crucifixion will highlight this difference, and it's massive. Yep. It's absolutely crucial. And I, I came across this while discussing this with a Muslim brother a number of years ago when I didn't even realize this was what was believed. But let's, let's get into how they view the crucifixion yep. and how they view the gospel. Yeah, definitely. So um, as I mentioned before, I'll move on to this swiftly, but as I mentioned before, the Quran does state that the Psalms, I did give the passage earlier, were also inspired by God and not corrupted. Um, and one of the reasons that we can know Yeshua Messiah um, and that the gospel... <laughs> <are kept>, <laughs> You're right there, bro. Oh, carry on, sorry. <laughs> yeah, one of the reasons that we can know that Yeshua is the Messiah and that the gospel accounts of his, of his physical death were accurate is because all four of the gospel accounts um, match the prophecy of Yeshua Messiah that was given in Psalms 22. 22. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that was fulfilled upon the cross by Yeshua. And again, the Quran confirms that the Psalms were also unchangeable and incorruptible. So this brings me to the next point, which is the deception of the crucifixion in the Quran. So if the Quran affirms that the Psalms and the gospel are true and unchangeable, why then does it differ in its account of the crucifixion? That's, that's where we, we're going to move on to now. So... No, go on. I was just going to say, Quran 4, 115, and this is, this is the passage that we're going, to, we're going to explore. Quran 4, sorry, 157. It says, And for boasting, we killed the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, the messenger of Allah. But neither they killed him nor crucified him. It was only made to appear so. Even those who argue for this are in doubt. They have no knowledge whatsoever, only making assumptions. They certainly did not kill him. So the popular Muslim belief is that somebody was actually made to look in the likeness of Yeshua and crucified in his place. That's what they believe. Which is, uh, is madness. Um, <laughs> like when I first come across this, I, my head was blown because I thought, oh, wow, you, you, you acknowledge that there was a crucifixion. You, were, you acknowledge that there is a Jesus, there is an Isa. Yep. We can get, you know, we obviously touched on the, the, the different perceptions and roles of what Isa plays in the Quran as mm -hmm. a prophet and everything else. But um, herein lies the crux of the difference of the faith. Yes. That there was no sh shed blood, no atoning sacrifice by God himself in the flesh. And it is through his blood by which we are atoned and which we receive our salvation as a free gift of eternal rest and reconciliation with mm -hmm. the Father. Yep. If we don't have that, we are then um, subject to a a, a, a judgment form of salvation. Yes. So 
when you speak to uh, Muslims and you say, how do I ascend into heaven? How do I make it into heaven? Well, Allah will judge. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, do you know what? I can't take that chance. No. I, I, it doesn't matter what works I do from this point on, even if I do the most amazing charitable uh, works and live a r- life of perfect righteousness, I'm, I still deserve damnation. Yep. There is no access for me to that heavenly realm without the shed blood. So this is like massive. This is absolutely massive when it comes to the differences between the faith. Um, and um, I, I, when I first come across this, I was like, wow, like you've, <laughs> you, and the story's like something out of a carry on film. Yep. Like, oh no, it wasn't Jesus. It, they replaced him. Yeah. Well, this is it. You know, the, the Rataf Seer by Ibn Kathir. Ibn Kathir is one of the, the most highly regarded uh, Mufasir in the Quran. Um, and Mufasir is an author of Tafsir, which is basically um, explanations or um, assertions of the Quran to provide um, correct understanding. Now, if the Quran ex- you know, describes itself to be perfectly explained and inerrant, why do you then need subsequent hadiths and tafsir in order to explain it? That just doesn't seem logical to me at all. Um, but like I say, if there are tafsir by Ibn Kathir that say that Allah made the main culprit being Judas Iscariot, um, who betrayed Yeshua, to look like Yeshua, who was then crucified in his place. So... <laughs> Not only is the atonement for sin being done away with, according to the Quran, but they've also changed the biblical death of Judas, um, which you know is mentioned in Matthew 27.5, which then does away with the fulfillment of the prophecy from Jeremiah 32, wow. as stated in Matthew 27.9-10. Yeah. So, you know, th- there's so many things that have just been altered here and changed. Um, another popular belief is a tafsir of Ibn Abbas, who says uh, that Yeshua asked one of his disciples, the youngest disciple, which one of you will be made to look like me and killed in my stead? And he will be with me at the same level as me, meaning in paradise. Um, and the youngest disciple gave himself in the place of Yeshua. So <laughs> the Islamic view, regardless of which, which tafsir you use, whether it's Ibn Kathir's or Ibn Abbas, um, is that the reason we all think Yeshua was crucified is because Allah did an excellent job of deceiving the whole world. Now, to me from what we read in Revelation 12, 9, the deceiver of the world is Hasatan. Right. You know, we see, so the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world, and he was cast into the earth, um, and his angels were cast out with him. So for me, when I read this, um, it is just a great deception to do away with the the atonement for sin of Yeshua Messiah. Yeah, it's... it's, it's um yeah, it's full of contradiction. It's it's full of um, it's too much tinkering to fit a a, a narrative. Yep. And uh, as you say, it's it's literally the um, it's the apex of human history. Yep. And everything that biblical prophecy is pointed towards is is towards this moment. Absolutely. And um, when you see that uh, change, it's uh, yeah, that's not that's not in uh, the character. If, considering how monumental an event it is, that's yep. not something that's going to be um, uh, changed or, or altered for the sake of deception or deceiving others because, no. um, you know, he is the way, the truth and the life. And, um, yeah, uh, again, it's just, uh, it's great when you start scratching the surface and you, you, you're you in a level of engagement now. It's like, okay, we can acknowledge uh, the existence of Jesus. We can acknowledge the uh, the the the, the, the the event of the crucifixion itself, we've got yep. some common ground, but 
this is where a part of the witness comes into it, where we say, no, like, th- we we can't partake in this. We don't have access to this uh, to this eternal eternal principle yep. without this foundation, because that's that's not what's been prophesied, and that's not not, not how it works. Like yeah. it's just not how it works. And that's why, as I mentioned at the beginning, it's so fundamental that when you engage in this conversation, the first principle that you have to establish, that you have to 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 uh, to clarify, is what the Quran says about the Word of God, what the Quran says about the Torah, the Psalms, and the Gospels, and why we have to judge by them, why they are perfect and inerrant according to the Quran, and why they are not corrupt. Because if we don't establish that, then we are not able to then go to the Bible right. to explain to them the truth of the matter. And right. they will just stand on this. Which which I love, because you could literally just just sit in Psalm 22 and have a uh, have a good old time with that. Absolutely. Um, so with that being said, we can obviously, we could stay on that for, for a long time, but I just think that's a fascinating insight into in terms of the replacement of Yeshua uh, at the cross. Um, now, if if I, if you would be so kind, I want to touch on um, the uh, the notion of idolatry and worshiping uh, um, the, the, this fear of, of, of Muslims venerating uh, a deity mm. uh, because they're, they're that some would say that they're that um, zealous for for God that they wouldn't dare to venerate God in a way that wasn't actually godly. So yeah. I wanted to just touch on the divinity of Yeshua. Uh, why is Yeshua God? Yeah, <laughs> and what does the word say about? And this is this yeah. can be. Um, this is something I've actually had personal experience with, with regards to sharing with Muslims uh, about Yeshua's divinity. And if I make the claim or the belief that I believe that Yeshua is God, yep. um, he is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Um, not only am I going to run into uh, pitfalls with a Muslim, I'm actually going to run into to, to, to pitfalls with other believers as well. Yes. Uh, and rightly or wrongly, but I, I think for me it's always good that we touch on why we believe what we believe. Why is Jesus God? Yeah. And what does the word say about that? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, if, if I can maybe just um, segue into that nicely from, from this passage, um, which is also to try and show them that even from the, the sense of the crucifixion as such that Yeshua is God. Um, and this is even in the Quran. Uh, so Quran 3.55 actually says, As Allah said, O Isa, Yeshua, surely I am taking you up to me. And I am raising you up to me, and I'm purifying you of the ones who have disbelieved. And I'm making the ones who have closely followed you, so the followers of Jesus Christ, you know, the Yeshua Messiah, above the ones who have disbelieved until the day of resurrection. So, again, I think it's commonly understood that Allah is in the highest heavens above all creation from a, from a Quranic understanding, from an Islamic understanding. But this verse says that Allah raised Isa up to himself, up into the highest heavens where no creation can be. So if Isa is also sitting above creation where Allah is, that would make Isa equal with Allah in terms of his holiness. Right. Um, thus making him God. Um, it does expand on that. Isa, Yeshua, Messiah, is the only person in the Quran that is actually referred to as Al-Mashir, meaning the Messiah. So Muslims will like to say that Al-Mashir can be applied to any prophet, but even in their own Quran, the only person referred to as al-Mashiach, meaning the anointed one or one chosen by God, is Isa, 
Mm. So um, that then brings us on to the next point. You give them that passage and you explain that to them. That's a huge issue to try and make that claim that Isa is God based upon what we've just said, which is it's why, it's why it's so important to lay the groundwork, lay the foundations of what we've already discussed, being that the Bible is not corrupted. It is perfect. It is truth. And that then leads us into being able to explain the divinity of Yeshua from the Bible rather than having to try and explain it from the Quran. Right. Yeah. And even in um, my limited knowledge and understanding of, of the Quran, uh, I've often uh, had conversations where I said, well, why, why is so much emphasis on Isa? Mm. Why, why is he coming back to judge the world? Yes. Why, why, why is it him? Why is it him? If, yeah. he's just, if he's just a prophet, like, what's, what's going on here? Like, Absolutely, yeah. And uh, that, can e- that can even prompt, uh, you know, just even a thought from, from their point of view, like, yeah, why, why is it him? Why is it him? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Muhammad considered the last prophet and the greatest prophet, but he himself is dead and buried in Medina. Yeshua, Messiah, even according to the Quran, was taken up into the highest heavens by God. He's why? alive. He's alive, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, stop praying to Muhammad and start praying to Jesus. Um, but at this point, I, I think it's worth stating um, that Isa in the Quran obviously the reason why Muslims will say that Isa is not God in the Quran he never claims to be God he's just a, he's just a, a messenger or a prophet right but they'll also assert that even in the Bible he never said I am God now that for me is just absurd um you know Yeshua the word made flesh he is he is the word he's the master of linguistics <laughs> do you know what I mean he is the master of linguistics so when he makes statements like he makes in Matthew 26 64 uh, Luke five twenty and John ten twenty five to thirty, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin that were there at the time knew that he was saying things only God can say, right? Thus claiming to be God. So, I mean, ultimately, this is what they crucified him for, right? You know, this why is why did they tear their clothes off? Correct, like in blas in screaming blasphemy. Yeah. So to to ignore that and say that Yeshua never said I am God. It doesn't actually make sense from either a biblical or a Quranic understanding. Yeah, and you could you could say um, at worst he um, he doesn't refute it. Well, he doesn't yes. refute it, but that's not a definitive statement of saying he is. But then actually, you know, he he is he has made that statement, yeah. and he is he he definitely said that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, he did definitely say it. Um, you know, because Yeshua doesn't explicitly say I am God, Muslims don't believe that he is God in the flesh. But where I find, and this is why I've mentioned earlier about not having this double standard, that's so important to, to put down there, is not having a double standard. Muslims will go to certain Bible passages like Mark 1, 7, where you know, John the Baptist is talking about one that will be mightier than him. He's not worthy to, to bend down and you know, loosen his sandal straps. And they say that actually speaks of Muhammad. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So they say it's a prophecy of Muhammad when actually you read the verse in context, clearly it's talking about Yeshua. Um, Deuteronomy 18, 18 to 20, when it was said there'll be a prophet raised like Moses. There'll be a prophet like Moses. They believe that to be Muhammad. Right. Um, however, if you read Acts 3, 22 to 26, it actually gives all of the, the passages from Deuteronomy 18 and then goes on to say, to you first God have been raised your servant, Jesus. Mm. Who? Jesus, not Muhammad. Um, so... There are also some people that do say that the the prophet like unto Moses is actually a prophet that will appear in the end times. I don't know if you've heard that before. 
No, I don't think. Well, I probably have that leads us through the greater Exodus. Right. Okay. That, yeah. That kind yeah. Of stuff. Um, but I think the Acts three twenty two to twenty six is nailed on that it's it's Yeshua. Um, but like I say, um, Yeshua spoke in the name of Yahuwah, so you you see the criteria of this prophet who would come uh, in Deuteronomy eighteen, and Yeshua ticks absolutely every single box for what that prophet would be. So it definitely, definitely is is not Muhammad. Um, so yeah, d- you know, despite all that. If a Muslim then still says uh, it doesn't resolve the fact that Jesus claimed I am God or is God, um, you can go to passages like Genesis uh, chapters 18 to 19, go through with them the encounter that Abraham had with the Lord. Right. Um, The Lord came in physical human form. Abraham washed his feet. Abraham gave him bread that he ate. So this is a physical human person, you know, someone in the form of a human that he said is Lord. So if they if they believe Abraham to be the father of their faith, also, just as we believe him to be the father of our faith, and the Torah is not corrupted, then let's go and have a look at what the Torah says. Mm. And let's use Abraham, Abraham's encounter with the Lord. And if you read Genesis 19 to 24, you see clearly here um, a separation where the Lord on earth calls down brimstone and fire from the Lord out of the heavens. Right, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, so you see The Lord see, from the Lord. The yeah. Lord from the Lord. So we see that there now still. They might then say, well, that doesn't necessarily mean it's Jesus. Doesn't necessarily mean it's Jesus. Um, so again, there are other encounters. You look at um, Jacob's encounter with God, where he wrestled with God. How could he wrestle with God? He must have been in physical human form. Right. Um, you see in 1 Kings 19, 9 to 11, there's a clear separation in that passage um, where Elijah has an encounter with the word of the Lord, and then he tells him to go outside the cave and he sees the Lord. So we see all these things taking place where there is a, a clear separation between um, the Lord, the word of the Lord, the Lord on earth in a physical human form, and the Lord in heaven. Right. So um, for me, if still after all that, the question still becomes from their end, well, there isn't anything that says Yeshua, Jesus, Isa is God. First Timothy 3.16, it says, and without, uh, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among Gentiles, believed in the world, received up to glory. Mm. I'm sorry, who was manifested in the flesh? God. God was manifested in the flesh. God was justified in the spirit. God was received up in glory. And we know that God here is Yeshua because Yeshua tells us in John 16, 5 to 11, specifically verse 14, that the spirit would come and glorify him and all the things that are his are the father's and that the spirit will uh, will take what is Yeshua's and declare it to us. So we know that this passage is speaking of Yeshua, and in this passage, Yeshua is referred to as God. I love that. I think that's absolute bread and butter. And um, you, whether do you know what the interesting thing is when it comes to the um, divinity of Jesus, Yeshua? Um, irrespective of uh, religious belief, whether it's Muslim, atheist, or even some denominations of Christianity, mm. they they have a real hard time wrestling with the. Uh, with the the human form of God, yeah. 
And it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a tricky one it because uh, the word is full of paradoxes. And for example, when you talk to a, a non-believer just on a, a base level, and they say, well, I thought Jesus was the son of God. How son can God, the son yeah. be the same? And so, like, oh, right, okay, how can, I, how can I explain the nuances of begotten and what begotten means? And yeah. uh, th- there's, there seems to be a, a, an equal footing with every viewpoint of, right, how can I justify them being uh, one and the same which yeah. can be quite hard to explain uh, without the holy spirit to reveal that yes um but i just think that's an interesting um it's an interesting stumbling block we well, have like yeah I could, I could maybe touch on that um I, i'll just sort of run through these final points that i've got to show that yeshua is in fact god by all means yeah. um, and then i'll touch on what you've just said then about him being the son of god um and how we can even use the quran to show this, right? Um, and I think that's a very important point as well. So thank you for bringing that up because you brought that to my recollection. Um, but just to sort of continue on uh, that point of Yeshua being God and making the claim of that, Acts 20 to 28 says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flocks among uh, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Right. God purchased it with his own blood. So you'll then the question might become, well, doesn't the Bible say that God is spirit in John 4, 24? But how can God then have blood? So what we just read in 1 Timothy 3, 16, which told us God was manifested in the flesh. So God, spirit, God, came and manifested himself in the flesh. And when he was in the flesh, he then had blood. Mm-hmm. So that's where that comes in. Um Isaiah 10, 20 to 21 also says, and it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as have, sorry, uh, the remnant of Israel and such as have escaped of the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated them, but will depend on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. In truth, the remnant will return the remnant of Jacob to the mighty God. So clearly this, this passage here is talking about the mighty God of Israel, you know, Yahovah, Yahuwah, Yahweh, whatever you mean, you know, you know the God as. It's talking about that God. It's talking about that God. Isaiah 43, 10 to 11 says, You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. To you, uh, sorry, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I am the Lord, and besides me is no saviour. So from this passage, how many mighty gods and how many saviours can there be? Mm. There can only be one. There can only be one. Isaiah 9, 6-7. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Now this to me sounds like it's talking about a human baby boy. Right. And that... The government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful Wonderful Counselor, Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Mm. Prince of Peace. So you can see here, it also goes on to say, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. So we see this human baby boy called Mighty God and Everlasting Father. And this child sits on the throne of David. So this is talking about the Messiah. 
This mm. is speaking of the Messiah. So the Messiah, Yeshua ben David, the one mighty God and everlasting father came in the flesh to redeem you with his own blood. So the answer to this satanic lie is yes, emphatically yes, Yeshua Messiah is called God. In fact, mighty God and everlasting father. Amen. Love that. Yeah. Love that. <laughs> Do you feel the passion? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's <laughs> that's what it's all about because, uh, yeah, like I said, it's always a great reminder in terms of why do we believe what we believe? What does the scripture actually say about it? Yeah. And if we're going off this uh, initial premise of what you brought at the start, that the Quran uh, not only does not negate or refute the gospel and the, 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 the Psalms and everything else, yeah. Um, then they've got it's 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 on them to disprove it using the text as opposed to us proving that with with theirs surely Absolutely. um so yeah how how do how how can that um uh how can that person then uh reconcile these texts these yep. scriptures with um with the fact that 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 uh that Jesus is lord Absolutely yeah and just to sort of come back to the point that you that you made earlier about um the son of god um, there is a passage in the Quran, if I can read this, um, Quran 471, if we've got some time, if I can go By all that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so Quran 471, it says, O people of the book, do not go to the extremes regarding your faith. Say nothing about Allah except the truth. The Messiah, Jesus, interesting, son of Mary, was a messenger of Allah, get ready, and the fulfillment of his word sent down to Mary, and a spirit from him. So, believe in Allah and his messenger. Do not say Trinity, which we touched on earlier. We don't believe in a Trinity. We don't believe in a Trinity, so don't worry, I'm not going to say that. Mm -hmm. uh, stop for your own good. Now, this is the bit I want to touch on. Allah is only one God. Glory be to him. He is far above having a son. Okay? So, this is the bit that I want to address. I want to address. Um, so, First of all, it addresses him being the fulfillment of God's word and a spirit from him. So Yeshua, even in the Quran, encompasses these two attributes of God being his word and the spirit. Right, okay. Um, so we can see divinity straight away in, in that alone. Um, but I want to come back to this passage where it talks about him not having a son, Allah not having a son, okay? So to help explain this, I do want to give an understanding of two other passages from the Quran. Um, and I'm not going off on a tangent here or anything. So anybody that watches this and says, oh, he's trying to divert from the point or whatever, I'm not. I just want to use the Quran to explain the Quran just as I would use the Bible to, to explain the Fair Bible. Fair enough. Um, so the two passages are Quran 43, 3 to 4 and Quran 13, uh, 39. So it says, um, indeed, we have made it an Arabic Quran that you might understand. And indeed, it is in the mother of the book that is exalted with us and full of wisdom, okay? So the mother is referring to what's um, known as the preserved tablets that are in heaven with um, Allah, okay? So this is talking about the Quran. The Quran, which they believe to be the word, right. became a book, was sourced from this mother of the book that is in the heavens, okay? Uh, Quran 1339 reads, Allah eliminates what he wills or confirms, and with him is the mother of the book. So the Quran has a mother. Very interesting, considering that Yeshua, Jesus, 
could not possibly be the Son of God, or it's blasphemy to say that God is the Father. But the Quran, the Word, has a mother. Interesting. So, um, the Quran, it's important to understand the Quran is not inferior to this heavenly tablet. It's exactly the same. It's identical to it. Okay. okay. So, just as to us, Yeshua is uh, equal in authority with the Father, right. the Quran is equal in authority to the mother okay. of the book. Okay. So, it, it doesn't mean that there was any sort of physical relationship between Allah and the mother book to conceive the Quran. It just means that the Quran is sourced from this mother book. That's why they call it the mother of, because the Quran is sourced from it. It was birthed from it, so to speak. Right. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So all Muslims, all Muslims do believe in the Immaculate Conception of Isa from, from Mary. Everyone believes that. But they don't believe that Allah can have a son. So they make it that a human being, a creature, can have a child without intercourse, but God cannot, thus making humankind capable of more than what God can achieve, which is blasphemy. Um, but if we use the same logic that we've just ran through there to understand how the Quran has a mother, Yeshua, the word, which we read before, the fulfillment of his word and a spirit from him, meaning Allah, Yeshua is the word and the spirit of Allah, thus making him sourced from Allah, sourced from God. Right. Making God the Father and Yeshua the Son. So when you can explain this here, um, again, I hope it can shed some light on why we can refer to God as the Father and Yeshua as the Son. Because in Islam, they do exactly the same th thing of the heavenly preserved tablets being the mother and the Quran. The word being birthed from it. Absolutely. Interesting. Um. Okay, so with that being said, I think we'll, we'll segue into, I think you just touched on there, the uh, the premise of um, Archangel Gabriel. Um, <laughs> now this, again, this is one of the first kind of concepts that uh, I, I came across when it came to a stumbling block uh, with regards to the truth and validi validity of the Quran being yes. the, uh, the, the word of God. I could see a contradiction with the role of uh, Archangel Gabriel I believe yeah. we've got two. We've got a contradiction here in that it was the Archangel Gabriel that gave the revelation to Mary that she was to have the uh, the Immaculate Conception. Yeah. Uh, that the gospel essentially was was uh, delivered by Gabriel, um, which is uh, stated in 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 the Word. Uh, but then we also have the premise that Gabriel uh, is the one that delivered the um, the Quranic verses to Muhammad. Yes. And obviously we have a contradiction here because they're saying that Jesus is not God. Um, however, uh, we have the same deliverer of, of, of two very different messages. Yeah. So which, you know, for me, that was like, okay, uh, for me it seems like we've got two, two Gabriels here. Yeah because um, they don't line up. I would agree with that completely. Yeah, it, it definitely is two different Gabriels um, because this is why, again, it's so important to lay that initial foundation of the Bible being truth and not corrupted because then you can show them in the Bible what Gabriel came and said. Um, and interactions with, you know, the Holy Spirit or the angelic, you know, Gabriel in the Bible and whenever anybody would fall down in fear, they would always, he would always say, you know, do not be afraid. 
Um, we see the stark contrast to that really in the Quran and, and how some of the hadiths describe Muhammad's encounters with Gabriel as being really quite violent and quite quite horrific. Right. Um, but yeah, so Muslims believe that the, the ruk, which is the spirit, so this is the third aspect of these attributes that I mentioned earlier. So you've got Allah, the Kalima, and the Ruk. Um, and we've already established that the Kalima is a separate attribute, not inseparable, separate, uncreated attribute of Allah. Um, and the Ruk is exactly the same, but they believe that to be the angel Gabriel. But nowhere in the Quran is it actually stated in any verse in the Quran that Gabriel is the Ruk or that the Ruk is Gabriel. That actually is stated in um, various different hadiths and, and tafsir to explain that that's the case. Um, the Quran, as I mentioned before, is supposed to be the final revelation of God and perfect and inerrant. So in that case, it shows to me again that the, the Quran cannot be perfectly explained and inerrant if they've had to go to another source to explain to them who the spirit is. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. Who the spirit is being Gabriel. So... Um, just want to touch on here, if we look at this passage from Quran 97.4, this for me is clear separation between Gabriel and the spirit in the Quran. So if we go off the Quranic understanding, it cannot possibly be Gabriel. So, um, and, and again, we know this from, from what it says in, in Luke 135, um, that, that, that it couldn't possibly be Gabriel. Um, in Quran 97.4, it reads, that night the angels and the spirit descended by the permission of the Lord for every matter. Now, again, I don't profess to be an expert on, on the subject, but as far as I know, Gabriel was the ark what? Angel. Ah, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Darren. Glad you're here. Yeah. Um, so we can clearly see here from this verse, there's a distinction between the angels and the spirit. So Gabriel could not possibly be the spirit if Gabriel falls into the category as an angel. Job done. Now, when it comes to, uh, as we previously mentioned there, this notion of uh, idolatry and being scared to venerate uh, Yeshua as Messiah and, and as God through, through a fear of idolatry, yep. uh, I just wanted to get your perspective on what's known as the Kaaba stone, <laughs> um, because we're, we're going into a, a realm of uh, undeniable idolatry and mm. a practice that is rooted in uh, pagan uh, elements. Absolutely. So... Um, We'll just get some. Uh, we'll get some visuals up, and I just wanted to get your uh, your thoughts on the the Kaaba stone and the role that it's played within within the faith. I the guess. Eye of Sauron. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, state of that, bro. Look at that, man. That is serious. The Black Stone. What is the Black Stone of Mecca? Um, mm. So, for for those that may or may not be familiar, this is. Um, do you want to tell the story or? Yeah, so maybe it'd help if I just sort of give a bit of context to this. When Muhammad went to Mecca, to the Kaaba stone, to destroy the 360 idols, the pagans there would worship stones, one of those stones being the black stone, okay? Um, now, pre-Islamic history uh, tells us that many Arabian tribes uh, were stone worshippers. Right. And this is also mentioned in Sahih al-Bakari, volume 5, 661. So that's one of the, the hadiths. Uh, Sahih basically means um, described accurately, transmitted okay. accurately. So this, this is a hadith that Muslims will stand. They cannot refute this. It's like this. The Islamic scholars have said, that is bang on. It's, 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 that's right. Right, okay. Um, so 
you know, it, this is it talks about these Arabian tribes being stone worshippers. And we also see in the Old Testament that a lot of Mideastern pagan groups were stone worshippers. We see that also in the Old Testament. Um, now, the pagans uh, in this area at the time, you know, in, in Mecca, they would kiss, uh, kiss and worship the black stone, which Muhammad condemned them for, saying it is shirk. Now, shirk is the Arabic word for idolatry. It's idolatry. Don't do that. It's idolatry. Um, but they said that what it is, is it's what's called ilah. So ilah means that it's ascribed to anything that's worthy of worship. Okay, so by worshipping the stone, it was ilah because it was worthy of worship. Now it says in Quran 39.3, Indeed, sincere devotion is due only to Allah, as for those who take other lords besides him, saying, We worship them only that it may bring us closer to Allah. Surely Allah will judge between all regarding what they differ about. Allah certainly does not guide whoever persists in lying and disbelief. So these pagans in this passage from the Quran knew that Allah was the supreme God. But these stones were able to intercede for them and bring them closer to Allah by them worshipping the stone. Mm. Okay, But Muhammad, very interestingly still says here in this passage, which we've just read, he basically says, no, only Allah is worthy of worship. Don't do that. It's idolatry. Only Allah is to be worshipped. And once he put a stop to this, we can then have a look at what Muhammad then did. So it's narrated that Ibn Abbas, again, one of the highest considered um, uh, Mufasir in, in the Quran, um, Ibn Abbas said, the messenger of Allah said the black stone came down from paradise. So this is this is a hadith that's narrated as sahih, which I mentioned before is perfectly explained. It's accurate. It's, it's profitable for doctrine in the, in the uh, faith. Um, also, Ibn, Aban, uh, Ibn Abbas is narrated to have said, um, he was one of the cousins of, of Muhammad, sorry, one of the greatest Mufasir. Um, so we see here, he narrated... When the black stone came down from paradise, it was whiter than milk. Right. Okay. It was whiter than milk, but the sins of the sons of Adam turned it black. Right. Okay. Okay. So again, this hadith is sahih. It's perfectly explained and accurate. Okay. So we see here that this is this is a pure white stone, pure white stone. This is, should be making connections. Now, this is a mad one, bro, because... I'm thinking, right, I'm looking at this and it's a cornerstone, right? Who's yeah, the here cornerstone? We go. Here we go. Okay, <laughs> like who took the sins of the world and and, and was the propitiation <laughs> for that? It's like you've yeah. lit, you've got a physical cornerstone Absolutely. physically turning black to take on the sins of the world. Yes. Like you, you've got things twisted up. Mm, <laughs> things, are, things have gone well wavy here. Oh yeah, big time. Uh, so like you say though, you, you just hit the nail on the head. This is a pure white stone that has the ability to absorb the sins of man, and that's what turned it black. Okay, wow. So it's almost like the stone, the rock, the cornerstone, became sin for them. Bro, and it, it's just that same sketch with the word itself, isn't it? Like, yes. oh, we yeah. have the word. It's a part of our... Tri- it's, it, it's the word, and it's like, no, you've literally taken a word, and yes. you've literally made a stone. <laughs> like, th- th- how, how much more um, uh, yeah, literal and idolatrous can, can you actually be, like? Well, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Sure, we'll find out. (laughs) Um, So it's it's narrated by Ibn Al-Khattab. 
who was actually the father-in-law of Muhammad and the, right. se- and the second caliph of the Muslims. So Muhammad was married, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. we might get into it. Well, if we've got time, but uh, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know if we should touch on that one. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he was the father-in-law of Muhammad, um, second caliph of the Muslims, and he came to the black stone and kissed it. And then he said, I know that you are only a stone which can neither bring benefit nor cause harm. Were it not that I had seen the prophet kiss you, I would not have kissed you. Okay, so this is narrated by Sahih al-Bakari, alongside Sahih Muslim, uh, which is one of the most valued books in Sunni Islam after the Quran. Okay, right, okay. This is, this is, this is um, recorded. So it's saying that Muhammad kissed it? Yeah, Muhammad and kissed it. because he kissed it, Everybody else is good to it. it's good to go. Absolutely. Because I think it's important as well to understand that to be a Muslim, you, you have to follow the teachings of Muhammad. Right. Okay. So you, you can't you can't be a Muslim just by worshipping Allah. You have to follow the teachings of right. Muhammad. Okay. So if Muhammad has done this, we have to do this also. Okay. So the only reason why um, he kissed the black stone is because he saw Muhammad kiss the black stone, but he actually knew that what he was doing was committing idolatry. He said, I wouldn't have kissed it. I would not have kissed this had I not seen Muhammad kiss this. That's mad. Do you know what, um, just going off a slight tangent, what it what it reminds me of is um, the, the scripture where, um, who was it, uh, where they said about eating, um, pretending to eat, um, was it in Maccabees? No, it wasn't Maccabees. Basically, the premise of, of pretending to eat pork Oh, so yeah. that it gives yeah, the appearance, yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. like, "No, nah, I'm not even going to do that for fear of people thinking that I've actually done it." Absolutely, and heaven yeah. bid they then go do it. I can't remember who it was. No, off the top of my head, but you know what I mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, and uh, it's just, he's just done the. He's like, "Well, maybe I shouldn't kiss the stone because people might do the same." Like, yeah. um, I don't know actually how aware Muhammad was of like his like what was going to happen after yeah. whatever. But um, yeah, just an interesting premise of how important our actions actually absolutely. Like, ripple through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but like I say, it, it actually it, it goes on to even say um, that the black stone will be resurrected. It will be it'll actually um, on the day of resurrection. It will be brought up and given two eyes and a mouth in which to testify to those who have touched it with sincerity. So it's just replace that with Yeshua. Like seriously, yeah. like that's, that's mad. Yeah. And so that now when we've got, um, uh, what's the biblical pilgrimage that they take to Mecca? Uh, I forget what it's called, um, but there's two types of pilgrimages you can take. Yeah, there is, yeah. Um, oh, you've put me on it now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I mean, I didn't mean to... to uh, I know oh, what you it, mean. Oh, yeah. It's on the tip of my tongue. Um, anyway, we've we've got this premise of like people queuing up to... Yeah. Uh, to kiss, to come and kiss the stone. To kiss the stone. Yeah, and which is a mad one because I've actually I've been. If, if, this might be something that will come up in a different podcast, but I've been in the realms of um, uh, like stone circles and um, veneration of uh, different portals and all that stuff. But in Ireland, uh, you've got the the Blarney Stone. Yes, which uh, again a, a similar uh, concept where there was a, a stone that came down. Uh, it was actually the same stone that was found in Stonehenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember the, the type that it's called. But there's a story of a, a guy who's on his way to court or he's got to go to court and uh, he has a, vis- a visitation from an angelic. Or, or I think it's a goddess. 
I'm completely butchering the story, but I don't care. Um, there's a goddess that visits the guy and says, look, if you kiss this stone, yeah. uh, it will give you the gift of the gab. And lo and behold, he gets off the uh, the charge, as it were. Mm-hmm. And now you've got people queuing up where there's this stone that's just like rammed in the top wall of this castle in yeah, Ireland. And people lean over and kiss it, lean over and kiss it like yeah. kissing the Blarney stone. And yeah. it's like, this is, this is definitely the ways of the pagans Absolutely. like if you you know when you do your research so yep. just a, a again i've got no definitive like conclusion other than that's a mad parallel it's yeah it really is and, that, and that's where you know hasatan twists things up is he stays so close to the truth but just makes these slight changes right that lead people into the deception do you know what i mean and you know this is this is a stone it's an inanimate object that was previously used for idolatry and pagan worship that can now absorb the sins of man, but Yeshua, who in the Quran is described as the fulfillment of his word, a spirit from him, raised up to the same level as Allah, apparently cannot. And that just, you know, it doesn't make doesn't make any sense to me that a stone can be raised on the last day and given eyes and a mouth to testify to the sincerity of those that have touched it and it's absorbed their sins. Now, I'm not doubting, I'm not actually doubting that God could not do that with a stone. You know, right. we, we actually see in Matthew 3, 9, Yeshua himself self said, um, God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. You know, right, we, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. You know, we, we see that in, in the Bible. But it comes back to having this double standard. You know, don't put it to me that I'm committing idolatry or what I'm doing is blasphemy by saying that Yeshua Messiah, the word made flesh, who we've already discovered by what we've said is God or the son of God, by me saying this of him is idolatry and blasphemous, but to you say this of a stone is not. Which is, um, again, like off the bat, it, it, it makes me think of this initial uh, talk of the Trinity and how they, uh, I say they were generalizing a little bit, but this um, this concept of, of uh, the Virgin Mary being part of the Trinity. And you're like, well, actually, like if you were to observe that from an yes. objective point of view, you'd think they, they, they be worshipping the Virgin Mary, Absolutely. kissing statues and all of that. Yep. And then when you actually take that premise with the, with the Kaaba stone, yeah. they're, they're doing the same thing. And it, it, there's this weird like interpolation of like mad uh, principles being acted out uh, in, in weird, weird practices, yeah. which is, I don't know about you, like I have no desire to venerate any object or, or thing or, no, not at all. you know, um, but obviously, in spirit, we venerate the Word of God and 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 uh, Yeshua and, and the Father. But um, yeah, just a, just an interesting delve into the Kabbalah So with that, um, we spoke a, a, a little bit on Muhammad. And again, I'm just going to re-emphasize this point: like everything we're touching on, you can add hominem onto and yeah. research and delve into these touch points. Um, because uh, that again, we're, we're hard pressed for time in terms of what we can cover. Yep. But um, we've discussed the veneration of Yeshua and his deification and why we believe that and why they don't. What is the perception of Muhammad? Is he deified? Is he is he is he is he uh, a saint? Is he a prophet? What is he in their eyes? And and what problems do you have? <laughs> it sounds like you've got some street beef going on. But <laughs> what problems have you got with Muhammad? But no, yeah. uh, generally speaking, like uh, what contradictions or difficulties do you have uh, with this figure that that is so? Because we're obviously told and uh, have revelation of being disciples of Yeshua to follow His way yeah. and to follow His precepts. Why do they follow Muhammad and and? 
Yeah, well, like I say before, there are actually verses in the Quran that say that you you, you have to follow what Muhammad teaches. Right. Um, so that's why ultimately they have to follow what Muhammad did, what he said, everything that he does. Um, and this is where the hadiths become really dangerous because even though the Quran does say that you have to follow what Muhammad teaches, nowhere in the Quran do you see the instituted about kissing the Kaaba stone. Nowhere in the Quran do you find it instituted that, you know, the angel Gabriel is the Holy Spirit. Nowhere in the Quran do you find it instituted to pray five times a day. Mm. Um, and I'll touch on that in a minute because that comes into part of this making Muhammad a god, so to speak. Okay. Um, and, and how that further led people into idolatry. All his followers fall into idolatry in this. Um, so uh, it, it's, it's recorded um, in... Let me just see if I can get the passage up now. Give me one second, bro. Yeah, no worries. Um, um, yeah, it's just because uh, obviously just in the language and way that uh, people descri- uh, Muslims describe um, Muhammad and, you know, blessed be Muhammad after yeah. everything. And I'm trying to understand, you know, trying to get my head around, like, why is that the case? Like, if if he's not yeah, um, somebody really, like, important. But yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one. And this this is, I was genuinely shocked when I found this out. Um, but it's recorded in one of the hadiths. Um, Sahih al-Bakari 4428 as I mentioned before Sahih is you know it's like the pinnacle of the hadiths uh, it means it's it's perfectly you know explained it's accurate um, but it's it's explained in Sahih al-Bakari 4428 how Muhammad died um, and I found this really interesting because what, what we actually see is um, a passage earlier on which institutes how a prophet who lies would die um, if he was to lie about something pertaining to God, how he would be killed. And it states that he would be taken by the right hand and they would sever his aorta. This is what it says. Right. So in the Quran, it says that any prophet that comes and lies in the name of Allah, we would certainly take him by the right hand and sever his aorta. Um, and I thought, oh, right, okay, that's, that's an interesting passage. And then I came across this in Sahih al-Bakari 4428. So this is um, the words of Muhammad, the thoughts and the words of Muhammad. That's what Hadith is um, written down. And it says, The Prophet, in his ailment in which he died, used to say, Oh, Aisha. So Aisha being his, you know, his wife. Um, I still feel the pain caused by the food that I ate at Kaibar. And at this time, I feel as though my aorta is being cut. And I thought that was really interesting because when I read previously that if a prophet was to come and lie about God, say something that was a lie about God, that he would be seized by the right hand and his aorta would be cut. And by the own admission of how Muhammad described his death, he described it in the way of, of a messenger that came and lied in the name of Allah. That's really curious. So what you're saying, now, I'm just trying to get my head around it, is that within the Quran or within the Hadith, yep. they're saying that there will be a prophet that lies and his death will come as a result of being cut of the aorta. Yeah. And then the prophet that they venerate and follow teachings of dies in that manner. Yeah. So in Quran 69, 44 to 46, it says, had the messenger, meaning the prophet, made up something in our name, meaning to lie, we would have certainly seized him by the right hand and then severed his aorta, meaning to cut his aorta. Okay. And then we see Muhammad describe his own death as, I feel as though my aorta is being cut. That is how he died. 
And have you ever come across any like material or, or any other Muslims talking about this or, or no. discussing it? No. Uh, what I find um, most of the time, does to be honest with you, is, um, and I, I kind of mentioned this before, is I think there seems to be um, there seems to be a sort of general understanding that people might be afraid at times to speak to a Muslim about these points because we believe that they know so much. Um, but in actual fact, when I've had these conversations, they've never seen this. I've had conversations with a Muslim about the death of Muhammad, and a lot of them have got the general understanding that he died of old age. Oh, okay. He died of old age, or some will say he died in battle. Um, but when you actually look at what the, the Sahih Hadiths, so the highly most highly regarded Hadiths, actually say about how he died, this is what it describes, that he, he ate food that was poisoned, and it felt as though his aorta was being cut, which wow. is what ultimately led to his death. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's actually really interesting. So by that, the, the verse itself... Um, refers to a judgment of if a messenger of Allah was to come and say something incorrect or lie about something pertaining to God, which then made me start to contemplate the previous things that we've discussed in the sense of, well, is this because of the deception in the Quran regarding the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua? Say that again. Say that again with regards to the... was, Was the lie, was the reason that Muhammad died in this fashion of him describing his own death as his aorta being cut which is the death of a lying prophet. Right. Was that down to the deception in the Quran regarding the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah? Sorry, I'm being I'm having a complete like empty <laughs> head. But how does that how is that related? Like, so that would be the lie. Right. That would oh, be the lie okay. they told about God. Okay. Oh so right. Yeshua being yeah, yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. If Muhammad was to lie about God and he lied about the divinity of Isa. Right. And he lied about how Isa was not crucified, therefore doing away with the redemption for sin. That would be the lie that would have ultimately led to the death of Muhammad in this fashion. Got you. I'm, I'm hoping the viewers could actually hear the penny dropping <laughs> physically through my brain at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, anything else you want to touch on with Muhammad while we're on? Yeah, so you, you mentioned a bit before about this, um, why they sort of worship Muhammad. Um, why is he sort of perceived as this, as this figure? Um, and I think this this did it for me. It was, it was in relation to the, the five daily prayers, which again, there isn't any, it's sort of alluded to in the Quran, but nothing's actually said about five daily prayers. Um, so Muslims pray five times a day and the prayer, the five daily prayers, they say within it what's called the tashahud. Okay. Now when a Muslim prays, it's, it's known as ibadah, which I mentioned earlier on, which is worship. So to pray is worship. And in this prayer that they pray five times a day, they do the tashahud, which is where they make confession. Now, in the tashahud, they say all the compliments are for Allah and all the prayers and all the good things. Peace be upon you, so as-salamu alaykum. As-salamu alaykum, O Prophet. Peace be upon you, O Prophet, and Allah's mercies and blessings. Now, what I found really interesting about this is they're not actually saying... Allah bless Muhammad. What they're actually saying is, peace be upon you, O Prophet. Peace be upon you, Muhammad. So what they actually do in this prayer... Praying to... They pray to Muhammad. Wow. So not only are they praying to Allah, but they also pray to Muhammad. Now, obviously, we pray to God in the name of Yeshua Messiah. Mm -hmm. But as we've already established, Yeshua is God. And there are passages in the Bible which we know is truth and incorruptible from what we've already discovered in the Quran right. that say he's our only intercessor. And that's why we pray to him. But in the Quran, that's not the case of Muhammad. So why do they pray to Muhammad? 
Well, as I mentioned earlier, the Tashahud was instituted in the Hadiths, which they then follow, which means because they follow Muhammad, just like they did with the Kaaba stone and committed idolatry, they then commit idolatry by pay, p- praying to a dead man five times every single day. So they're just being led into idolatry more and more and more. Fascinating. No, that's, yeah, really interesting. Um, with that being said, um, as I said at the top, there is, there's so much ground we could cover. And I think there is definitely potential to, to get into this subject again in the future because mm-hmm. um, I feel like we could sit here like literally all night discussing this. Absolutely. Um, so before we wrap up, I just want to ask you um, one, last, uh, one last question. Yep. Uh, just along the lines of how do we, um, how do we maintain a respectful um, grounding um with regards to sharing our faith and sharing um conversations with muslims have you got any insights or or encouragements and uh, just any final thoughts with regards to uh, i know you've you've mentioned a couple of times with regards to rules of engagement as is, as it were yeah. but any final encouragement or words to those who uh, who either feel like they're being pulled in this direction and um uh, feel like they need a bit of help and encouragement. Now, um, just before I, I let you fire off on that, mm-hmm. I've been humbled in this area um, before. I've I've had situations and conversations where I haven't had the answers. Yeah. I've had that with Muslims. I've had that with non-believers. I've had that with other believers mm-hmm. where I haven't had the answer. And sometimes I have to look at it and say, do you know what? I think God is humbling me. Yeah. And he's actually... Um, potentially holding back revelation uh, for an individual at a certain time. So my encouragement is that um, don't put yourself under so much pressure to have all of the answers all of the time, because maybe it's not time for you to be used as a tool of revelation for another individual, whether it be Muslim or or any other believer. Um, But before, yeah, the one I got unstuck with actually was um, the garden at Gethsemane. Yes, where I was challenged with, um, so you believe Jesus is 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 God, and I was like, yeah, and they're like, so your will be done. Is there a separation of wills between Jesus and the? And I was like, I'm gonna have to go away and look at this because mm. I didn't have a comprehensive answer. Yeah. Um, did, you so find, did you find one? I did find one eventually, <laughs> and I challenged anyone who's watching this to, to go find it as well. But um, yeah, don't be afraid to get humbled, basically. Absolutely. But with that being said, Grant, any final thoughts, any final exhortations to those out there who've watched? And um, yeah, what, what, what would you say to the guys? Yeah, again, I think, I think you've, just, you've just said it perfectly there then. You know, I don't profess to have all the answers, you know, either. I've done my studies. I've looked into certain topics. There are many, many things that I've not looked into. Um, so don't don't be afraid to have something put to you that you don't know the answer to and just say i don't know the answer to that right now let me go and have a look at it for you you know if you are in a conversation with somebody exchange numbers maybe and say let me have a look at that for you i'll i'll, I'll find something I'll, I'll come back and maybe you can shed some light on that for me um I, I, again i think it has to be a conversation i think i mentioned this at the start it's got to be a conversation if you go into this trying to just assert your point of view um, or for it to become a debate, then it's fruitless anyway. Right. You know, there's no point in engaging in it because all you're trying to do is prove a point. Um, and that, that's, that's not what you should be doing. You know, you should hopefully be trying to, with the, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, reveal the truth and the salvation of Yeshua Messiah to somebody. 
Um, if you go in there with the wrong attitude and it isn't a conversation where you can have an open discussion, if, if you put something to me, give me the time to respond and, and answer your question. And the same, if I put something to you, I'm going to give you the time to respond to the question I've asked you. And it has to work in that sense. If I'm jumping over jumping over you in that conversation or you're jumping over me, it's fruitless. You've, you've got to maintain that, 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 that conversation. Um, another thing I'd say is stay on topic. I know we've covered quite a lot of topics in this, um, but you know, pick a topic and stick to the topic because you can so easily get pulled from one thing to another mm. and it becomes quite confusing. Um, so that's another thing I'd say is if you're going to go and have a conversation with somebody, pick a topic, stick to the topic um, and try and not let that topic get derailed. Uh, don't have a double standard. These are sort of the three fundamental points that I go by. Don't have a double standard. You just mentioned something then, Daz, which um, I think is so important, is if if somebody comes to you and they ask you to explain something from the Bible, um, they too must be willing to have you put something to them to explain from the Quran. Um, so again, and, and if that works both ways. If I'm going to come to you and ask you something about the Quran, then I have to be willing for you to accept that you're going to put something back to me to explain from the Bible. Um so the the the, th- the three things that I'd say to keep in mind when you're conversating with a Muslim is you know uh, keep it casual, keep it casual, have an open conversation, um, let it come from the heart, um, don't go in there trying to assert a point of view. I love that, um, and just to expound on that slightly, um, is your heart uh, in the motive setting of being right, or is it geared towards somebody having revelation of the gospel absolutely yeah that's that's so important yeah you know and and that that is where my heart is truly is for somebody to have revelation of the gospel i truly want everyone to see the truth um i don't want to go in this with the premise of me being right right um you know it's not about me being right i mean it's good to be right but (laughs) (laughs) no no you're yeah Yeah, it's not about me being right you know ultimately i want as as i'm sure as i know you know the Father wants us all, you know, to know him and to be saved. But, you know, it, it has to be a working of the Holy Spirit. I can converse with someone and, and lay down what we've just laid down as a complete rejection of it. In other cases, I'll have a conversation. You do just see the revelation take place. And it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, but it's got to be spirit-led. Uh, yeah, that's it. Um, guys, use your discernment levels. Uh, pearls to swine and all that because there are moments in which you can be pulled into a, a debate yeah. uh, with the best intentions of thinking great I've got the green light to share the faith and elements of it and lo and behold it's, it just turns into uh, you know let's bash the Christian or let's just prove ourselves right so yeah guys be my advice would be to use discernment um, don't get giddy uh, don't be naive but when you have that genuine encounter with an individual who wants to know more about the faith about the word of god yeah. how it relates to them then uh, then you know that you're good to go yeah um grant i want to thank you sincerely um like i said uh i think there could have been so much more we could have expounded <laughs> on um uh, i want to thank you for your courage to come on and speak on a subject in this way and and um all credit to you, bro, because there could have been uh, a plethora of topics that we could have discussed. Yep. And uh, I just want to reiterate that, that um, you know, uh, you're, you're zealous for the word, you're zealous for the truth. And I think in a time 
uh, frame in which you've been in the faith, and I don't mean this patronizingly at oh, all, yeah, because we're all learning the 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 sheer amount of information, the ways in which Yars led you in this. Uh, uh, direction is is a blessing not only to yourself but to those around you and um, again as I said at the outset I, I hope and I pray that we've touched on elements that can actually help you have these conversations to go out there a little bit more informed and uh, hopefully bless you more on your journey yep. so with that being said Grant thank you for your time it's been a pleasure thanks for having me and uh, Yar Willing will have you on again at some point in the future um, so from our house to yours it's been the upper room Shalom we love you God bless we hope it reaches you and your family well and uh, Yar Willing again we'll see you uh, in the future Shalom Shalom <laughs>